Our local government officials sure are earning their taxpayer-funded paychecks these days. Municipal leaders and the county commission are busy negotiating a sales tax agreement that is vital to keeping our property tax rates stabilized. And within the city of Savannah, city manager Jay Melder and his staff are crafting ordinance proposals to address the housing shortage. City Talk columnist Bill Doors joins the Commute Podcast to discuss these topics and more right after the traffic clears. Hello, Savannah, from all of us here at SavannahNow.com. This is the Commute Podcast, and I am your host, Adam Van Bremer, opinion columnist and a deputy editor at the Savannah Morning News. Today is Tuesday, November the 29th. I'm joined on today's episodes by everyone's favorite guest, City Talk columnist Bill Doors. Before Bill and I try and unpack the complexities facing our local governments, a word about our favorite office design firm and this podcast presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. We here at the Savannah Morning News are getting really excited about our much-anticipated office move, with real estate listings burning up our emails and in-house communication channels. Once we settle on an address... Our next call is to Scott Center and his team at National Office Systems. They've been helping Savannah businesses with their office needs since the 1980s. National Office Systems offers more than 200 product lines, including a new collaboration from two of the office furniture industry's leaders, Herman Miller and Knoll, also known as Miller Knoll. If your office space needs a refresh, National Office Systems can help. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. One more time, that's www.natoffsys.com, C-O-M. And now, here's the conversation with City Talk's Bill Doors. Joined on the commute once again by City Talk's Bill Doors, who, I'm trying to think of the last time we talked, Bill, it certainly was before the election and and. I think probably during the latest city council hijinks between Curtis Pertee and Keisha Gibson Carter. And we don't have to rehash that today. I'm sure we'll come back to that at some point because there'll be fresh news on it, but we're going to put a pin in it today. But we are going to talk a lot about the things that are going on in town, particularly as it relates to some of the ordinances and some of the tax agreements. Of course, we saw T-Splost fail in the last election narrowly. And we are going to circle back to that. But let's start with Lost, which is the fifth penny. Am I butchering that? Sixth penny. Basically, it's a 1% sales tax that is collected on all goods and services sold in Chatham County. And the unlike Splost and East Splost and some of these other tax pennies, the Lost pennies can be used by the local governments to fund their general fund, to fund their services. Whereas the, the Splost and the East Splost... If you'll notice the difference there is the the S and the P, so special purpose. Those have to go to special purposes. The lost, which doesn't have the SP in front of it, I've got this down, can you tell? Uh, <laughs> can go wherever they want to spend it. It can go wherever they want to spend it, and usually they use it to go into their general funds, and that allows them to, uh, I won't say lower property taxes, but keep property taxes uh, lower than they would be without, without it. To this point... Uh, every 10 years, it has to be renewed. It is up for renewal before the end of this year. Uh, to this point, the county and the eight municipalities have not agreed on how to share that. The current, for the last 10 years, the share has been 73% for the municipalities and 27% for the county, which um, 
depending on where you live, gets passed. Uh, those savings get passed along to you in in a variety of tax bills. But if they don't get this thing ironed out, then that is going to expire, and all of a sudden, the municipalities and the county government are going to have huge holes to backfill. So if you live in the city of Savannah, not only is your city of Savannah tax bill going to be higher, but also your Chatham County tax bill is going to be higher, and that goes for uh, across the county. The only people who wouldn't see a double bump would be people that live in unincorporated, but they would still see a big bump on their uh, maintenance and operations, their countywide county bill. If you look at your county bill, there's two things. There's a maintenance operations. Everybody in the county pays that. And then SSD, which only the unincorporated people pay. So the SSD would not change theoretically, but the MNO would. So now that I have everybody thoroughly confused, <laughs> Bill, this is uh, this has got to get done, right? I, what can, can you do? You envision do you envision us sitting here on New Year's Eve and not having this done and having a the threat of nine or ten mil increase in our in your property taxes going up? Um, no, I can't imagine that. It's got to get done. Um, though I will say that I'm, you know, the, you know, city budgets are are big things. County budgets are big things. People budget for long term um, things like public safety, you know, road maintenance. You know, there, there's so many elements that are just, you know, going to be in a budget. And even if you try to squeeze every penny in savings, you can. Some of those things are just going to be expensive and you are not going to be able to like dramatically make changes to those expenses. And what uh, Chairman Ellis and and with the county has is basically recommending and is still recommending in as far as I know the most recent proposals is recommending that all these other municipalities make dramatic changes to their budgets over the literally just the next few years. I mean, even if we, you know, like assume just, oh, well, we'll adjust it over 10 years, but the amount that he's expecting, for example, the city of Savannah to have to adjust their budget is so large that you're right. There would have to be property tax increases um, and probably simultaneously cuts in some services that people want, you know, Mm -hmm. that people have, have consistently said they want. Um, you know, and almost everybody who's run for, you know, any type of public office in Savannah has has pledged to, you know, fund public safety as fully as it needs to be funded, fire and fire and police. And if you start taking those off the table, <laughs> you know, as places where you could cut, you know, it's it's just it's just not that easy. You got this big like it's a big freighter in slow moving water going in one direction. That is your budget. Um, you can't just like like start turning all of that around that quickly. Um, and I, I I really just don't know, you know where where this goes if Chester Ellis you know sort of continues to kind of dig in, and if he's got the support of the Chatham County Commission, you know if if they continue to kind of dig in on this, I mean I can see why they would want to have more money from loss so that they control. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think the various municipalities though have just gotten not a, uh, addicted is probably the wrong word, but they have relied on relied that, on. Yeah, that funding for, stream for, 40, for so for long. Years. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I, I, I find the whole, the whole, the whole thing 
uh, very difficult to understand. And it all feels very much at odds with Ellis's one Chatham philosophy. Right. right? right. Yeah. Um, and I can understand wanting to have more money for the one Chatham philosophy. But if the one Chatham philosophy involves like civil war among the right. municipalities, yeah. you know, I don't know where that leads us. Right. And, and Ellis, to his credit, has a bit of a point. We have seen, uh, particularly in recent years, we have seen the district attorney, the public defender, the court system come in to the county budget talks and say, we need we need more money. And the county just, for whatever reason, the, the county has found ways not to give them much more money. I think they gave them some money during COVID uh, because they had some money and they could tie it to COVID. But th- this is clearly a case of the county wanting to try to keep their tax rate as low as possible. At the same time, their service costs are going up. Um, so how can we get that money back? Do we pass it along to people in taxes or do we try to do whatever we can in terms of the loss negotiations to get more dollars? But the simple truth is, is if you look at statistics, um, uh, a lot of different studies and statistics, and I know we can make them say a lot of things, is the municipalities probably get a smaller share, not a larger share than what they should get based on population, based on where tax money is spent, um, than, than what goes on in the unincorporated parts of the county. And that's where it starts to get murky, right, is okay, but the county is the whole county versus the municipalities and I really don't want to go down that down that rabbit hole but it, it certainly appears that the county is going to push uh, the latest they originally wanted a 50-50 split again right now it's 7327 uh, did I or no 7723 uh, excuse me 7723 the county was pushing for a 50-50 split uh, the latest county proposal is for um 31% for the county. So that would, uh, but the caveat with that is, is the county would get 2% more each year during the 10 year cycle. So at the end of the 10 year cycle, the county would be getting 49%. So it's very, very close to the 50, 50 split. And, uh, it's hard for me, Bill, to really kind of determine who has the leverage here. Right. I mean, certainly if you look at, if you look at it from a political standpoint, the city has an election next year. So you'd like to think, okay, well, Van Johnson and, and Savannah City Council have all the incentive to try to make this work. But at the, at the same time, it's not like Chester Ellis is elected for the next six years. His election is a year after. So to me, it looks a little bit like a political Russian roulette, what is going on between them now. And I don't get a sense, especially with those two, that there's really a whole lot of interest in, in trying to find some common ground. And I just I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I don't know if it's going to blow up or not. So what does happen if there's if there's no agreement? Can the county just unilaterally it expires? They can't unilaterally renew. It expires. If they and don't then have, yeah. and then if it expires, to get it restarted would right. require an ad, another referendum. Another right? referendum. Another referendum, which would mean next would mean next year. So you would certainly have a hole there. Um, so I, I'm with you. I think it'll get done. I'm guessing it's probably going to be the 31, 31 and what would that be? 69 that, that Ellis has proposed now, but without the escalation, 
So you won't see a 2% uh, climb per year, but the county would go from getting a 23% share to a 31% share. But we will see where that goes. Uh, I do know that, that the state lawmakers are stepping in and are going to meet with, with both the county and the municipal leaders sometime next week to try to get it hammered out. And I'll be curious to see what kind of influence they can exert uh, over the, the county and the, and the city. Yeah, and you know, and with with likely lots more development coming in the entire West Chatham area, and likely more annexations, right? I mean, likely more um, you know unincorporated county joining Savannah or another municipality. Um, I mean, that just sort of heightens the stakes of what this looks like long term. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, if anything, we will see a higher percentage of people living in an incorporated area going forward. Um, though admittedly, I haven't you know, tried to do any like demographic analysis of that because who knows what will ultimately be annexed you know, and what the pace of growth will continue to be. But um, I mean, if nothing else, I mean, this is a, I, I, I mean, I feel like the stress on the cities will get worse. Right. Um, no matter cities, what. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> uh-huh. cities, the cities don't seem shy about annexing. I mean, look at Fort Argyle, we've seen some annexation out there. Little Neck, uh, there's less and less unincorporated areas to the west side of Chatham right. County all the time. Uh, another consideration with Lost is what I mentioned earlier, and that's T-Splost. So T-Splost was a penny that was going to be used for transportation-related improvements. It went down by, I should have looked this up, I think it was about 1,300 votes. It was very, very narrow. And so a lot of those transportation projects, whether it was a study to put a flyover over the President Street Railroad track or a just a bunch of road improvements out in West Chatham, none of those are going to have those pennies coming in. I know that we talked, uh, you and I were both very skeptical of, of T-SPLOS this time around, especially the way it was it was pushed and marketed. Were you surprised that it lost and were you surprised that it lost so narrowly? I was uh, not surprised it lost. I was surprised that the vote was as narrow as it was. Um, you know, a, kind of predictably, if you look at sort of more conservative areas, um, it, it was people voted against it. They didn't vote against it in conservative areas by as much as I thought they would. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might have been because so much of that money was was going to some of these more suburban, more conservative politically areas. Um the uh, more more liberal areas, especially neighborhoods within the city of Savannah, uh, generally it generally won in those precincts, um, but didn't win by as much as I thought it would. Um, so it was a little closer everywhere. Um, I do feel like if there had been more in it for you know residents of the the core of Savannah, you know everything from West Savannah to downtown East Savannah, Ardsley Park. Thomas Square, my neighborhood. I mean, I, I do feel like, I mean, while it while it was approved in those areas, I think there might have been some actual, it might have actually run up some significant margins, margins. if there had been more clearly in it. Um, as you say, a huge amount of the money was designated for major road, road projects and road expansion in West Chatham. That money would have um, leveraged other funding yeah, federal and yeah. those areas also would have gotten funding from the undesignated pots, right? There were these undesignated pots that were allegedly going to go to all areas. Well, some of that money would go end up in West Chatham too. And yet, you know, in, in 
many of the precincts in West Chatham, you know, T-SPOS gets defeated, 53-47, et cetera, et cetera. So the places that were literally going to get tens of millions of dollars, the residents there didn't even vote for it. Um, and, you know, and the residents there who are complaining about traffic. So, you know, those people, I mean, I understand that people don't want more taxes, but, you know, at some point, you know, those people need to be convinced. I, you know, if, if that's where you want to spend the money, the people living there at some point need to be able to say, yeah, we need that money. Um, these projects are worthy. And, you know, as we've discussed, I mean, I just feel like there hasn't been a, a clear plan to, to deal with sprawl. There hasn't been a clear plan to balance for all the comprehensive planning and all the long-term planning we do around here. They're just, you know, you drive around those areas and there doesn't seem to be a coherent kind of sense of this is residential, this is commercial, mm-hmm. this makes right. sense for this type of development, this makes sense for this type of road capacity. Um, you know, I just I I just don't feel like there's ever been kind of a clear, a clear direction. And, you know, and, and for me, one of the breaking points was then the, the lip surf lip service given to transit. Right. Um, yeah, you very, know, very like little money going toward cat and no countywide expansion. Right. Right. I mean, and if we're going to, if we're going to keep doing this, if we're going to have these major manufacturing plants like Hyundai out, you know, in very close to that Western edge of, of Chatham County, you know, we, we've, we've got to be thinking more strategically about uh, transit expansion. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know where that that leaves. You know, these projects aren't all going to just go away. Right. Um, they're certainly not going to be fast tracked like they would be, um, um, though. A few of them might be a few of them might be lined up for other types of funding. Yeah. Um, I mean, ultimately, a lot of these projects will happen anyway. And I guess my fear is that the ones that won't happen, like ones that could be really useful, like a bridge at the railroad tracks at President Street, which would be a huge quality of life improvement for thousands of people living on the islands, um, you know, they're there and for business, business connections in that corridor too. Um, you know, that some of the things that, that aren't really that expensive, that would make a big difference in people's lives. Those may not be fi- fast tracked. Right. You know, I wonder how much of the no vote was driven by some of this inside baseball stuff we've talked about and how much of it was just driven by, you know, inflation's out of control. I don't want to pay another penny. I don't want to pay another percent tax. Uh, I just, I wonder what the balance was in terms of the, of the no people. You know, it, it, I mean, I heard a lot of people talking about the inside, the inside baseball, but I think at the end of the day, that was the real decider was just basic ideology that people brought to the table Mm -hmm. compounded by, you know, the economic conditions, as you mentioned, you start talking about that extra 1% sales tax and, you know, suddenly we're up to, you know, it's, it starts sounding like a lot more money when you get up to 8% local sales tax. Um, Though in a vote that close, you know, a vote as close as that one was um, almost any variable could have, could have made a big difference. Tipped it. That's right. We'll be right back. I'm interrupting this conversation with Bill to encourage all to sign up for the Savannah Town Square Opinion Newsletter. It publishes every Tuesday and features everything you need to know to dominate the water cooler conversation at work. You don't have to subscribe to the Savannah Morning News or SavannahNow.com to get the newsletter, so there are no excuses. 
the newsletter is absolutely free and lands in your inbox. All you got to do is sign up. To do that, visit savannahnow.com slash newsletters, and it'll take you to a page. You'll see a list of newsletters. Amongst those, you'll see Savannah Town Square. Click on it. It's as easy as that. They'll start sending it to you. Now, back to the conversation with Bill Doors. So let's talk a little bit about what part of the election is still going on. We sit here on Tuesday, November the 29th. We are a week out from the Senate runoff. Uh, This one, of course, is shaping up a lot differently than the one that we went through two years ago. For one, majority control of the Senate is not on the line, so you do not have... While we still have a lot of marketing and advertising and messaging in our faces, it is not nearly <laughs> not nearly what it was two years ago. But uh, we do have two very high-profile candidates that, uh, quite frankly, uh, command, demand a whole lot of attention. And early voting, at least in the first couple of days, has been very, very strong. So runoffs are traditionally a turnout kind of deal. What is your sense uh, between now and next Tuesday on on what's really going to move the needle in terms of, of who's going to win between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker? Well, Adam, as you say, I mean, it's turnout, right? Um, I mean, I Warnock is the incumbent. Warnock won a runoff previously. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what the odds makers have this at, but I would say you know that he would have to be a, a to me, would be a very slight favorite. But, you know, I'm, I'm very curious, though, like, well, what happens with, because there were, you know, a substantial number, I, I, I had it written down somewhere, but a st- substantial number of voters who appear to have been Kemp Warnock voters, right. you know, in the general election. Yeah. Uh, now, of them. Yeah. now, do those people go back to the polls just to vote for Warnock? Right. Right. Now, a lot of those are voters who are very likely to be regular traditional voters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're older, they're more conservative, they're settled, they're homeowners, uh, they're they're people who vote regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but without Kemp to support, and they obviously didn't want to vote for Walker, mm-hmm. but will they still come out for Warnock under those circumstances? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, you know, without the urgency of being able to 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 control the Senate, you know, how much how much are the the Republican, more traditional Republican voters who voted for Walker, whether they loved him as a candidate or not, um, how motivated are they going to be to come out? And, you know, and as you've noted, um, you know, and as I think everybody should should be pretty plain right now. I mean, Trump is a huge motivator, but but Trump was a was a pretty significant albatross for a lot of candidates um, in the general election, not uh, nationwide. Um, And it looks like Trump's going to stay out of Georgia, not even do any active campaigning here the next week or so. That's probably good um, for Walker. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's probably good that 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 Trump will not be doing that. But um, yeah, I mean, they're just a lot of people who are kind of going to shy away from the election for that reason, too. Um, and then, you know, there are those, you know, those libertarian voters. I mean, sure. if there had been ranked choice voting um, in the general election, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. I, don't I mean, either. Warnock was ahead. But I mean, would those libertarian voters really have put Warnock as their second choice? Um, 
I'm I'm skeptical of, yeah. of that. You yeah, I think on November 8th, there were a lot of, on both sides, there were a lot of hold your nose and vote. It was, right. I'm a Republican, and I think control of the Senate's going to be on the line, so therefore I'm going to vote for Walker. And then I think there were a lot of people that said, I cannot, you know, in good conscience vote for Walker, so I'm going to hold my nose and vote for Warnock. How many of those hold your note voters are going to come back out? Uh, if you had asked me last Friday, I'd have said, not very many. I expected turnout to be, I think I put it in the other day. I said, if the over under on turnout is 2 million, I'm taking the under when we had 4 million for, for November 8th and four and a half million two years ago for the runoff. But when you've got uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday voting, all setting records, it makes you wonder if, if maybe the electorate is a little bit more engaged than, than we all thought. But then again, it could drop off in the next couple of days and who knows, right? Well, I, I got a message just before we, we started talking today. I got a message from a friend who's who's voting today and said there are huge lines yeah. Yeah. At, two, at two early voting locations. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad people are, are voting no matter who they're voting for. So we'll, we'll hope that the voting stays strong. And while we're talking about elections, let's pretend that it's next Wednesday. So our next election would be city council election. Are you ready for, uh, are you ready for that? Um, I'm not fortunately, fortunately <laughs> the city cycle generally doesn't really start, you know, it doesn't the, the, I mean, we know Keisha Gibson Carter is, is challenging Van Johnson or has said that she's going to, but um, you know, in theory, we won't know all the players and all the candidates for all those positions till April. Middle middle of next year yeah may you know um so so maybe we'll get a, a nice break and we can just focus on policy right um, and that's a that's a good segue because i want to wrap up talking a little bit about policy of course earlier this year the city announced they were going to look at uh, incorporating inclusionary zoning and also look at auxiliary dwelling unit changes to their ordinance auxiliary dwelling units are carriage houses or in-law suites or however you, you know, garage apartments, just these, you know, somebody's got a home and they've got uh, another piece of property in their property that they can rent out. So that's what an auxiliary dwelling unit is, the city to address some of their housing needs, especially their affordable housing. We're going to look at both of those things. They finally rolled out some, well, I shouldn't say finally, because they said it was going to be now, so I shouldn't knock them. They, they met their deadline. They, they rolled out at least some initial proposals last week. And you, of course, in a, in a column that published, uh, it's already published online. It runs in the newspaper tomorrow. Basically said the city was not, at least this initial foray does not show the level of boldness. Uh, I think we said before the call, we said, you know, they dipped their toe in when they needed to dip in their whole leg. Uh, can you kind of talk about what you've seen out of the city in terms of, of these uh, affordable housing initiatives? Well, you know, I mean, affordable housing is a big, complex problem. And just a word of warning to anybody who's listening to this, you know, affordable housing does have definitions, right? I mean, you know, it meets, it's it's the cost of the housing compared to, you know, and it area income, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there, you know, when we talk about affordable housing, we're not just talking sort of vaguely about affordability. You know, there are sort of specific benchmarks that we're talking about. And, you know, things like inclusionary zoning and changes to an accessory, accessory dwelling unit ordinance, these, these are pretty modest tools in a toolbox. They are, they are, and they are complicated. 
Um, I mean, both of them rely on private sector development, um, but, you know, the, the inclusionary zoning ordinance. I mean, you're talking about even if a developer is deciding to participate um, you're, and not just pay in lieu into a fund, um, even if a developer decides, yes, I'm going to create an affordable units, we're probably only talking one, one out of every 10 units meeting some standard of affordability. And then we're not talking about super low income affordability. We're just talking about people who are solidly middle class being able to find decent housing, right? You know, so these, these are pretty modest tools. Um, the people who build the carriage houses, the ADUs, they may not even decide to rent them out. They might decide ultimately that they're just going to use them themselves. They might just be adding them for value added to their property for the future. They might literally be planning them for a aging relative or a, a an aging child. You know, I mean, they're uh, you know, so so these these aren't going to be cure alls, right? You know, they're not going to add some large number of new units to the housing stock. And basically, what the city what city staff's proposals on both counts, I think, um, don't create enough mandates for the in inclusionary zoning to create more units, especially outside of the core of the city. Um, and the ADU ordinance, I, I just I just think there's still too many limitations in what they're looking at because part of the part of the picture with the ADUs is that, as I just mentioned, those can add value to somebody's property. I mean, those can be tools for building household wealth. And Bernetta Lanier alluded to this at the last city council meeting when she mentioned kind of, you know, there was a history in West Savannah, people being able to build ADUs. And that's a way of like not only booing a neighborhood's population, but actually building household wealth. Mm -hmm. um, and it just it just the, the if they're if you're still going to have to have a lot size of X square feet right. to be able to build an ADU, if that's not opening that door to many private developers, well, they're just, it's not going to get done. Right. Do um, and that the neighborhoods that where people can build the AT ADUs are the larger, more prosperous neighborhoods already. Um, and some of those people will face a lot of pushback. I'm sure yeah, a lot of people in, yeah. in some of the nicer neighborhoods decide to start, you know, taking advantage of it. But, um, but, but those are unlikely to meet kind of the potential that, an expanded ADU ordinance could meet, and you know, with the, the with the prospects for, you know, just continued regional development, and again, Hyundai getting housing, rental housing, getting developments out, you know, in into the West Chatham area, um, some of which is already part of the city of Savannah, and probably parts of it will be more. More parts of it will be part of the city of Savannah um, to just sort of exempt those from any expectation of helping support an inclusionary zoning ordinance um, that just that I mean I just feel like that's the wrong way to go and you know they can argue city officials can argue oh well if it's successful we'll expand it well we could also do the second a, a second approach and you know try a more aggressive approach right. and if it's and problematic scale it, we can scale it back right yeah, and that, that seems like that would be a lot easier to do than to expand it that's right that's right because there's there's I think there's more people that are uh, against against the initial foray because they see it as maybe squelching investment and that kind of thing 
than the other way around. So if you if you get aggressive and then if you are seeing it be an impediment, then you can kind of scale it back. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's uh, I think that's about right. We got about we got about one minute left. You mentioned this is a this is a tool. Um, when they get done with with crafting this, do they just need to keep plowing forward with some of their other affordable housing initiatives, or do you see kind of this as a launching uh, launching off point to something else? Well, I I would personally like to see a, a huge rethinking of of how we treat both in the tax code and in and in you know in 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 thinking about ways of incentivizing development, how we treat you know just all these all these vacant lots. Um, how can we kind of encourage people to just move ahead with development of vacant lots? Um, East, West Savannah, you know, in particular, drive through some of those neighborhoods. Um, those neighborhoods are so far below their logical carrying capacity. Um, how can we incentivize um, just more units getting built, whether they're affordable or not? Um, Thanks very much to Bill Doors there. We had a uh, interruption, but I think his thought was completed and uh, we're going to leave it right there. But that is all for this edition of the Commute Podcast. Thanks one last time to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Before I sign off, remember that we publish new Commute episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Whatever your interests, you will find interviews of interest in our archives. Search The Commute with that Savannah opinion on your favorite podcast app. The commute returns Thursday when we talk Benedictine football. The cadets are two victories away from another state title, and sports writer Dennis Knight has all the insider info. We'll look forward to talking to you then. Mm-hmm.